0: Isaiah 58, we're gonna read the whole thing. Um, so bear, bear with me, um, kind of dig in here for a second. We're gonna read the entire chapter of Isaiah 58 this morning. If you're using one of our Bibles, page 514. So if you don't have a Bible, there's Bibles on these tables around the room, grab one. If you don't own a Bible, hey, that's our gift to you. Just take it with you. Um, so Isaiah 58, Isaiah 58, shout it out loud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people the rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for my decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and you exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Verse five, is this the kind of fasting I have chosen? Only a day for people to humble themselves? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? This is God speaking. He's saying, verse six, is this not the kind of fasting that I have chosen? To loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Verse seven, is it not to share your food with the hungry? and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter, when you see the naked to clothe them and not turn them away from your own flesh and blood, then, verse eight, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer and you will cry for help and he will say, here am I if you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and a malicious talk, and if you spin yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Verse 11, the Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and will strengthen your frame You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Verse 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called the repairer of broken walls, restorer of the streets with dwellings. Verse 13, he's wrapping up here. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, If you call the Sabbath a delight and the Lord's holy day honorable, and if you honor it by not going your own way and by not doing as you please or speaking idle words, then you will find your joy in the Lord. And I will cause you to ride in triumph on the height of the land and to feast on the inheritance of your father, Jacob. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So we've been in this series thanks for honing in with me there. That was a lot. We've been in this teaching series called For the City. And we're continuing that series after taking a couple of weeks um, off to celebrate our birthday together. And we've been looking at this idea. Okay, hey, what does it mean for us? What, like, what's it mean for us as a church that loves our city? Like, what, What's it mean for for us to be a church that sees our city, that knows our city, that loves our city, that's ultimately working towards the redemption of our city. Hey, let's be about a church. Let's be about people beyond us as a church family. And so we've looked at this reality that, hey, everything that we've been given, everything that we have been given, everything that we have is ultimately a gift from God. Everything we have. And so, how do we steward what we have been given? How do we steward everything that we have been given so that people can come to know the Jesus that we know? We've talked about stewarding our hearts. That's where it begins. Hey, how do we steward our hearts as a church family? We've talked about stewarding our status. Like, how do we steward our status so that the city can come to know God? How do we steward our sexuality? How do we steward every part of who we are and everything that we have so that this city can come to know God? And and that's what what we're about as a church family. That's what we're here for. That this city can come to know the unfathomable, the the unchanging, the unrelenting grace and love of Jesus. Like the, the Jesus that turns a world upside down How does every person in our city come to know this Jesus? And In fact, that's our starting place today, is that when we encounter Jesus, when we encounter Jesus, He turns our life upside down in in the very best way possible. When you realize your brokenness, when you realize your sinfulness, when you realize your inability to run after perfection, When you encounter the redemption, the love, the grace of Jesus Christ, your world is just flipped upside down. Because it's in Jesus that you're declared righteous. It's in Jesus that you're declared redeemed, you're declared forgiven, you're declared good in the eyes of God. And this completely just changes the way that we think. Changes the way that we live. You see, your life is forever changed by the radical grace of Jesus. This is the gospel. Like this is the gospel message. So we no longer swim with the current of our American culture. We no longer swim with the current of selfishness, of anger, hostility. No, because God's grace has been given to us, because God's grace has been showered upon us, We now in turn, we now in turn get to shower the grace of God upon others. We in turn get to give the grace that we have so received. And so Isaiah 58, this is the gospel message, but in Old Testament terms, Old Testament language. It's God speaking through the prophet Isaiah to the people of God In this moment, but his words, I really believe, ring just as much true today as they did at this moment. So I kind of start with some questions. How many of you believe that God is for this city? How many of you believe that God is for this city? How many of you believe that God has plans for this city? How many of you believe that only God can do it? Yeah. My hand is raised on all these questions, but especially that last one. How many of you believe only God can do it? And I believe we're sitting here in church. I believe you're here this morning. I believe we're going through this teaching series because we believe that. We've come to the end of our rope and said, okay, God, like we've tried, we can do it our own ways, but our ways fail. So what are your ways, God? How do you wanna see revival come to this city? How do you wanna touch down in this city? What are your ways? And it's interesting because I think God in Isaiah 58 is giving us the answer to this question. He's giving us a picture of what this might actually look like. Now, I don't know if as we read Isaiah 58, there were some things that kind of right off the bat kind of hit you in the face. Man, there were so many things that I had to wrestle with this week. So many things, and we're gonna wrestle with them together. Because right off the bat, you see that God's way, God's way of doing things is both by God's grace, right? But it's not just by God's grace. It's by our obedience, propelled by God's grace as well. Did you notice how it makes it conditional a little bit? And I know that's kind of hard for us to understand and see, but let's go back and look at it. Did you see it in verses nine and 10? He says, if and then. If and then, if, if, then. He says, if you do away with the yoke of oppression, if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry, then your light will rise in the darkness. You see it again, verses 13 and 14. It says, if you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath, if you call the Sabbath a delight, then you will find your joy in the Lord. Then you will find your joy in the Lord. St. Augustine put it this way. He said, without God, I can't. Without me, he won't. Without God, I can't. Without me, he won't. Without God, you can't. Without God, you can't. It's undeniable. But without you, he won't. I heard the question this week that's just kind of been wrapping, rocking me to my core. Is how can God use us for change if our lives are reinforcing the status quo? How can God use us for change if our lives are reinforcing the status quo? Okay, how can God bless our city if we aren't walking in the ways of his blessing? Now, this is important to note. You can't earn God's blessing. That's not what he's saying here. This is not about earning favor. You can't earn it. Like, flat out, you can't earn it. But he is saying, hey, you're doing things a certain way. And I want you to turn around, start doing things my way. He's saying, if you turn around from your ways and start doing things my ways, the blessing will come. The blessing will come. In other words, he's saying, repent. That's kind of the biblical word here that he's calling us to. He's saying, hey, repent from your ways. Now, we don't have to deserve God, right? I'll reiterate it another way because we never will, but we do have to follow God if we want to experience God, okay? We do have to follow God if we want to experience God. So what are his ways? Like, what are the ways of God? Now, for some of you, you may have grown up in a faith tradition that, that separated um, things uh, of religion with things of justice. So this has been the story for most of my life. Where you have one category, you know, church and worship and prayer and the Bible, and then you have another category, justice, social responsibility, making the neighborhood a better place, making the community a better place. And they're like the food on your plate that you don't really want to touch. Like you're trying to keep them divided, you're trying to keep them separate. And here's what God's doing. He's saying, hey, you're putting one part and you're making it a little more important than the other part. Because the religious part is more important, right? And God right here in Isaiah 58, he's beginning to connect the two categories. God, he's saying, hey, do you wanna be alive in me? Hey, do you wanna come alive in me? Okay, great, awesome. Come alive to people and their needs. Then you shall call and I will answer. Then you shall cry and I will say, here am I. It's as though God's saying, and man, I was just hit by this this week. Hey, stop using my grace as an excuse. Another question that I was just wrestling with this week. How can God who loves the world bless a life of indifference to the world? How can God who loves the world bless a life of indifference to the world? Just smack me in the face, I read that question. How can a God who came and died for this world bless a life that doesn't care about the world that he came to die for? And I think he's asking us in Isaiah, hey, will you stop treating my grace as an excuse, as an escape from suffering? And will you start treating my grace as the power for sacrifice? And then at the end, verses 13 and 14, he's like, hey, while you're at it, start start treating the Lord's day as sacred. You're like, wait, what are you doing there? And he's bringing together the social and the spiritual right here in this moment. God, he's saying, hey, this is where I am. This is where I'm waiting for you. This is where you will find me. And this is the message of Isaiah 58. And I really believe, hey, this is the kind of faith that God is after. This is the kind of life that he longs for us to live. This is the life that Jesus came to give us life and life to the fullest. I just think we view it a little bit different than how he intended it to be viewed sometimes. I think God's saying, hey, this is, this is what the life is supposed to look like as you follow me. And he wants us to have it. <laughs> he wants us to have it. He wants us to grab hold of it by his grace and for his glory so that this city can come to know and glorify God. What what is it gonna take? What is it gonna take so that this city can deny the love of God no longer? Like what is it gonna take so that this city can just flat out not deny the love of God? How much love is it gonna take? (laughs) How much justice is it gonna take? How much sacrifice is it gonna take? Will we see it in our lifetime? I don't know, I sure hope so. Like, I want to, I desire it. But here's the cool thing, whether we see it in our lifetime or we don't here in Nashville, I believe that we can be a part of it right now. I mean, I think about all the prayers that have probably been prayed over and for this city that are starting to come to fruition But let's jump back into Isaiah 58 and kind of look at how this is beginning to unfold, how God got here. Verse one, verse one, it says, shout it out loud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people the rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. Okay, so this is God talking to the prophet Isaiah. And like, no joke, something serious is happening here. Something serious is going on. If you got God telling you to be, hey, stand up, shout it out loud like a trumpet, there's something seriously wrong. So what's, what's happening here? Verse two, this is God. This is, he's describing the problem. He's saying, hey, for day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask for my decisions and seem eager for God to come near to them. Wait a second. They, they, they go after God daily. They're eager for his presence. Okay, so if you were to like run into somebody on the street and it comes up, hey, where do you go to church? Oh, hey, I go to Ethos. And oh, I've heard about Ethos. And they begin to describe Ethos. And they're saying, hey, man, I have heard your people are hungry for the presence of God. Man, your people just seek the face of God daily. I don't think any of our reactions would be, don't you dare talk about my church that way. Like, don't you dare say that about ethos. No, I I think in some ways we would be encouraged. I don't see us being offended by that. So verse three, the people of God respond. They say, why have we fasted and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Wow, okay. What what is their expectation? I kept asking myself this week, okay, why were they fasting? Like, why were they fasting? What was their expectation? What kind of blessing did they expect to receive from God for the sacrifice that they were making? You know, didn't their shiny works righteousness deserve better I mean they were sacrificing for God weren't they I mean these these people weren't just going to church on Sundays diligently they in fact one day a week they were actually fasting and praying I mean these were the elite these were like the uber religious and their feelings are hurt they're saying what's up God why haven't you come through And the question that I was asking myself this week, okay, if God measured my love for him by my love for people, what would it reveal? If that was the only measuring tool, said, hey, I'm gonna measure your love for me by your love for people, what would it reveal? Because the reality is, if we love God without loving people, God does not feel loved. And see, I compartmentalize things really, really well. Here's the thing about God. He doesn't compartmentalize anything. How often do we try and kind of offset our neglect of social responsibility with maybe some diligence in our religious activity? I'm there, I do it. Because you know, fasting, I mean, it's no cakewalk, pun intended. Like fasting is difficult, right? But let me tell you what's more difficult is meeting the needs of people, dealing with people. <laughs> I don't need to tell you that. Here's a challenging quote that I read this week. If our Christianity does not move to make the world a better place, it's not just unhelpful to others, it's unacceptable to Christ. What does the word of God tell us? James chapter one, verse 27, it says, religion That God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this. To look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. That's religion, faultless before God. Okay, let's look at Jesus. Let's look at Jesus. What do we see Jesus doing? That's a good place to look. Like over and over in the gospels. Serving people. Feeding people, healing people, loving those who did not receive love from anyone else. Now, when you look at religion kind of in our modern context, in our modern world, it's become a very private thing, right? Like kind of your religion is something that you keep to yourself. It's personal between you and God and that's kind of where it stops. And there's a disconnect here. If our faith if our Christian religion stays private. Because what happens is if our faith stays private, it it more or less becomes like, like a hobby, like a hobby of ours rather than who we are. And this is not what God is after. This is not what God desires. What makes his voice be heard? What makes our voice be heard? Verse six. Verse six, what's God say? He says, is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter? When you see the naked to clothe them and not turn away from your own flesh and blood. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. Now real quick, when he says flesh and blood, he's not talking about your own immediate family. What he's saying is, hey, I'm talking about human beings here. I'm talking about people just like you, people who are made in my image, just like you are made in my image. He's saying, you know what pain feels like. You know what brokenness feels like. You know what hurt feels like. Each of you knows what that feels like. So you know what other people are experiencing, your own flesh and blood. And this is the kind of fast that I have chosen. Something that we have come back to time and time again, kind of the overarching theme of this entire series is God has blessed us tremendously. He has and he will bless us tremendously, but it can't stop there. He has blessed us so that we can be a blessing. Now, I talk about wanting revival personally. Like when I lead prayer gathering, I lead times for, for revival in this city. I'm a part of uh, uh, pastors that get together and we pray for revival in this city. And I'll be honest, if, if someone were to ask me, hey, okay, so revival, you say you want that in this city. Like what, it, what is it that you picture? When you think about revival in Nashville, Tennessee, I'll be honest, Isaiah 58 would not have been the first passage that came to mind when I think about revival. And here's something I heard this week that just kind of ripped my heart open. True revival, true revival is not a private religious joyride with God. It's the power of God touching the world through us. It's the power of God touching the world through us. So revival is is us not just caring about the school that our kids go to, making sure our kids go to good schools. Revival is us caring just as much about the school down the road with underprivileged resources and underprivileged kids. Revival is us thinking just as much about others as we think about ourselves. Revival is not simply just feeling sorry for the homeless person on the street corner. Revival is us giving shelter and food to those who are wandering without shelter and food. Revival is a social power energizing us to do what we can about poverty, to do what we can about the uneducated, to do what we can about those stuck in human trafficking right here in our own city, to do what we can about abortion. And the list goes on and on and on about those experiencing oppression in Nashville, Tennessee. We can't be okay with this, why? Because God's not okay with it. I was just reflecting back this week, okay, where have I seen this? Like where, has, where have I seen this happen? And I kept being drawn back Uh, to Dr. Martin Luther King. I kept being drawn back to what him and so many other amazing leaders did in the civil rights movement. Someone who I think deeply understood what true fasting looked like. A man of God who would spend his entire life loosening the chains of injustice and setting the oppressed free. You know, not often when I kind of reflect back upon that time in our history, does the word revival come to mind? Maybe it does for you, but for me, I'm starting to realize, okay, maybe that's the word to describe what happened. Maybe that's the word to describe what could continue to happen in our city and beyond. And before we go too much farther, we have to remember the promise that God made. Before we start getting too overwhelmed by what, we can be a part of. We have to remember the promise that God made. Verse eight, he says, at the very end, he says, and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. This is God's way of saying, hey, I got your back. Like, I've got your back. And in a world where almost nobody has each other's back, (laughs) in a world where it's hard to believe that this has happened, we have to believe that God does in order for us to move forward and in the consumeristic world, in a selfish world, in a, in a world where it does not seem possible. And we're asking ourselves, okay, if we give ourselves away, if we give our resources away, if we step out there in boldness, like what will happen? If we, if we give everything that we have away for the glory of God, how, how are we gonna be? Are we gonna be all right? God says, I got your back. I got your back. So, what, is, what does Isaiah 58 re- reveal to us about the results of true fasting? Verse 10. Let's read this together. Allow these words to soak in. This is what God says. He continues, He doesn't just have our back. He says, Then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land and he will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Okay, so it doesn't sound like there's anything to be afraid of. It doesn't sound like God's gonna leave us hanging. (laughs) In fact, this actually sounds a lot better than the comforts that I tend to be drawn towards. But here's the reality, something, something keeps me from stepping into this most of the time. I think something keeps us from fully stepping into this a lot of the time. You know, excuses that kind of keep our lives from, from being true fasts. lives that are setting oppressed free. lives that are actually loosening the chains of injustice. So I'm just gonna kind of name some excuses for me. Uh, I'm just gonna kind of name some excuses that I deal with on a regular basis. And you may or may not relate to these. Because here's the thing, like this is difficult. And I was talking with Dave last week and we were just kind of talking about this. One of the things he said just really struck me. He said, my level of knowledge far exceeds my level of obedience. My level of knowledge far exceeds my level of obedience. I'm like, me too. Me too. Me too, but I don't want my excuses to get in the way any farther. So maybe you're too preoccupied. Maybe you're too too busy. You don't have the space. Like you, don't, you literally don't have the ability to respond to the things that God's putting on your heart. Maybe you're too comfortable. Man, this is me. I spend a lot of my time around people that I enjoy being around and places that I love hanging out at. That's me, maybe it's you, I'm too selfish. To put it plainly, like I am selfish with my time and with my resources. I'm too overwhelmed, so I come into a week like this and I'm beginning to uncover all the oppression in our city, (laughs) I come to a passage like this and I'm a little overwhelmed, I'm like, I don't even know where to begin. Like, how do I even step in to what God is calling me to step into? But I, I don't want these excuses to get in the way any longer for me personally, for our church either. I, I don't wanna be like the people in Isaiah saying, God, where are you? Why, why haven't you heard us? Like we've been seeking your face. He says, I wanna meet you, but here's where I am. Here's where I'm at. Are we willing to go there? if God measured our love for Him solely by our love for people, what would it reveal? Does our love for God propel us into a love for people, especially those experiencing oppression and injustice, especially those who are getting overlooked and difficult to love? Okay, you're probably in the same boat as me, Maybe you're in the same boat as me. Okay, yeah, I I, I wanna begin doing this. So this morning, I actually wanna give us a couple of practical steps that we can start living into the ways of God so that we can receive the blessing from God to be a blessing to others. So one of the things our church is doing between now and the entire winter season, all the way through March, every Monday night, our church is gonna be partnering along with a lot of other churches a lot of amazing other men and women in this city to provide shelter uh, for those in this city that are experiencing homelessness. And so what we're gonna do is we're, we're gonna pick these folks up in partnership with Room in the Inn. We're gonna provide them a meal. We're gonna, we're gonna love them. We're gonna serve them. We're gonna get to know their stories. And we're gonna invite you to come and serve and be with these people every Monday night through the entire winter. You can be a part of this in a big way, a small way, in every way in between. We need our house churches to be a part of this. We need friend groups to be a part of this. We need individuals to be a part of this in order to make this happen. So you're thinking, I don't even know where to begin. Like I see it, but I don't even know how to step into it. This, this is gonna be one of the ways that we invite you into this. And so actually today, Sam Parnell, right here, is gonna be, are you gonna be back by the Connect Board? Yeah, go your, I'm new the I'm New Banner. Sam is gonna be at the I'm New Banner. If you wanna partner uh, with with our church and other people in this city to provide shelter for those who need it this winter, go talk to Sam. He'll get your information. He'll let you know how you can be a part of this. If you're in a house church, talk to your house church leaders. They already know about this, but this will be a way that you all can just love and serve those in our city that need love. The second practical thing I wanna invite you into is I don't know if any of you saw uh, the Facebook post um, that, that Kelly uh, posted on the Marathon Facebook page. So if you didn't, uh, she just kinda asked for, um, asked for a need uh, here in our, in our very own city. Uh, so Kelly is uh, a teacher at uh, Merle School here in Nashville. And originally she posted, she said, hey, a lot of our kids don't have winter coats which is so crazy to me. I'm like, can you imagine a a, a child in the winter weather showing up without a winter coat? Like, there are kids who don't have winter coats in our city. And she said, hey, if y'all can provide winter coats, that'd be amazing. Well, pretty cool, that need actually fully got met. Um, And so every child at that school is gonna have a winter coat, which is amazing. But there's, there's more, there's more of a need here. And so we're like, hey, Kelly, how can we, continue to just partner with you and what's happening in this school. And so she kind of filled us in on something else that happens at this school. I want to tell you a little bit just about, about the school really quickly. It's a school and it's amazing. Um, I want to give you the details, wrote them down so, so I could actually give them to you. So I'm I'm like preparing this message this week and I see that Facebook post and I'm like, okay, I don't think these are disconnected. I think, I think we're actually supposed to like respond and do something with this on, on Sunday and throughout, throughout December. Well, that need got met and she's like, hey, actually, uh, there's a really cool thing that our school does is they provide a store uh, during Christmas for these students uh, to be able to shop for their parents and their siblings. And so I'm just gonna d- kind of let you in on this school a little bit. So uh, the school they serve a specific population of 90% who are emotionally disturbed. The majority of these kids have been through personal trauma such as physical or sexual abuse or have seen abuse firsthand. Most of them come from a single family home and have had one or more of their parents in jail and are living with family other than their parents or in foster care right now. Our students come from a very extremely low socioeconomic area. Our entire student body is on free breakfast and lunch. These are Kelly's words, not mine, obviously. Our program takes in students from all over Davidson County who are not exhibiting success in general education classroom. Many of them have aggressive behaviors that make it unsafe for them to be in regular school. This is where our school comes in. We have a program designed to provide a therapeutic environment for our students and teach them the skills they need to be successful in a typical school environment. Their goal is to earn nine weeks of good behavior based on behavioral matrix. Once a student earns nine weeks, we start discussing a transition plan to transition the student back into their school zone. One of the things that they do is they earn these credits. Uh, they earn these credits in the classroom in order to be able to go to the store that the teachers provide. So they earn these uh, credits in the, it's more like, more or less like Monopoly money, I guess. And they're able to go and like buy Christmas presents for their parents, who probably aren't gonna get a lot of Christmas presents this year. So I said, hey, can, can we help provide these Christmas presents? And so we're, we're gonna invite all of you over the next few weeks uh, to purchase these presents to go in this store for these kids to be able to provide Christmas for their siblings and for their parents. And so I know a lot of us are saying, hey, okay, I hear you. I'm in, but how? Here's two practical next steps that you can take. But here's also the reality. We're going to leave here today. A lot of us are going to go to work, school on Monday morning, and you're going to encounter very real needs. Many of you were thinking probably during this time, oh yeah, I I see an area of injustice in this city. I see an area where people are oppressed. I don't think you're gonna have to search too far to find an opportunity to live into what God's calling us to live into. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm gonna invite us to stand. We're gonna take communion. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna process this together. We're gonna pray together. And then I'm gonna invite you to take a next step. Take a practical next step. Uh, We're gonna have, so because our plans changed, we don't have the practical details yet. But what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna encourage you, look for a blog this week on how you can uh, provide uh, Christmas presents for these kids to shop. Um, And so look for a blog this week, and then we're gonna come the next two Sundays and we're gonna collect those things together. So there's gonna be an opportunity for you to take a practical next step. But my my gut is it's not gonna take long for you to search in this city uh, to meet the needs of those who need to be met. So let's stand together. We're gonna take communion. And I love just this reminder each week as we come to the table, it's not on us. (laughs) It's by his grace, it's by his goodness that we get to be a blessing. So let's first, as we head to the table, receive the blessing in Jesus Christ that we have so that when we leave this place, we can be a blessing to those who need the blessing of God. So I'll pray for us and we'll take communion. Our Father, who is good beyond measure, who is better than words can describe, we just ask for you to meet us in this place in this time. Uh, Will you meet us at the table? Will your goodness meet us here? Will your presence meet us here? God, will you come and do what only you can do in our hearts and in our lives? So Jesus, it's in your name I pray. Together as a whole church we say amen.